Take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you are doing in and amongst us, the body. Help us, Lord, to take heed to these words. Help us, Lord, to walk with you and to serve you faithfully this year. Father, we love you. We commit this day to you and we ask for you to transform our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Please be seated. I want to take a, a Sunday off from Romans, the groans start now, and focus our attention on a passage that I believe summarized what we should desire for our church for 2022. I acknowledge I started preparing the sermon with this pre-understanding of the passage. I've preached it before. I knew it dealt with the truth that I thought we should prioritize as a church for the new year. I preached this passage roughly five years ago on the Sunday after we returned from China with Samuel. So it was an interesting thing. I went and watched the sermon and, of course, uh, critiqued myself very well, uh, but felt a little bit of compassion for myself in light of the fact that we had been on an airplane just a couple days before for a long, long time coming back from China. Uh, but like the, like the passage and like the truth that was in the passage and thought it was an important passage for us to think on and apply for ourselves as we start the new year. As I started reworking the passage this week, because I don't, whenever I've preached a passage, I don't just kind of pull up the notes and say, okay, here we go. I'll just preach what I preached before. Uh, I'm too afraid that I made a mistake last time that I need to go back through the passage and make sure I got everything exactly right, at least in my mind and in my heart. So I went back through it. And when I started studying, I, I noticed that the 
main command that I emphasized last time was found in verse 2. You all know it. You've heard it. Long for the pure milk of the word, right? And so when I preached it previously, I focused on that desire for the word of God, that we should have a desire, a longing, a craving for the word of God. And this is a great truth to prioritize for 2022, isn't it? That we crave or desire the Word of God, all of us. We want to be a church of the Word, don't we? Not just uh, on Sundays or Wednesday nights or, you know, occasionally. We need it all the time. We need to be an every day of the week Bible lover and pursuer and studier, all of us, not just Pastor Mike, not just the elders, not just the deacons, but everybody should be in the Word. We want to be people of the Word, don't we? But as I studied and I uh, dug deeper in the passage, I found there's another feature to the passage that's just as important and ties together with the desire for God's Word. And I think it's important that we notate that. We all know that the chapter breaks in the original letter uh, weren't in the original letters, right? The, the numbers you see there, 2 and 1, verse 1, verse 2, none of that was there. So when Peter wrote this, he wrote it all as one letter, and you couldn't see the differences other than just reading the letter. And really, there, the chapter break in verse Chapter 2, verse 1 is, shouldn't be there. there it, shouldn't, it should probably be back on 22, verse 22. It would probably be easier or either that or drop it down to verse 4 and start it there because the thought seems to shift a little bit more there. But as we see and we look at this passage, we'll see that these two thoughts, there's another thought that's in there that fits together very nicely with our desire for the Word of God. And how it's very, very important. And it's tied together and extremely important for us to all apply this to our lives. Because we can be word pursuers, but fail to be word appliers. We can know the word, but not apply the word. And there's a very important application that is found right in the very beginning. First Peter was a letter written by the Apostle Peter to suffering Christians that were scattered throughout what we know as modern-day Turkey. These believers were suffering, and they were under intense pressure to abandon the truth. The churches were spread out and were all some small local bodies. It, it was scattered through, they were, the church was, the churches were, scattered groups of aliens or strangers. That's what they called themselves, aliens. Boy, does that not fit for us as believers today? We are definitely aliens in this world, strangers in this world, aren't we? More and more every week it seems that way, right? They were seeking to live in a world that hated them and hated the Lord. So they faced hard times. In fact, many of them would be persecuted and even martyred. Like the author himself, Peter, would be martyred just a few years after writing these two letters. So the believers needed encouragement. And this letter is written to encourage them to persevere and stay faithful in the salvation that God has given them in Christ. And to continue on. The believers were aliens and they were scattered and they were persecuted and they were small in number. So... What did they need? 
Well, first in the letter, Peter reminds them of their great salvation in verses 1 to 12. And this great salvation had delivered them from the penalty and the power of sin. And it was reserved for them. Uh, uh, they had a reserved in heaven a place for them, right? Uh, an inheritance. The salvation was rehearsed by Peter in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Then the pinnacle of this explanation of God's salvation was that even the angels marvel at this salvation that everybody who believes has. They look at us and go, wow, you're kidding. Grace. Wow, this is beyond our comprehension. The angels marvel at the salvation given to sinful men and women like us. But then in verse 13, Peter kind of throws you for a loop because it's like, okay, go on. Give us more. More about this salvation. And immediately he begins to tell them what they should do and how they should act and what they should think. And in light of the salvation that they have, this is how you should behave. They're your responsibilities. And verse 13, he calls them to fix their minds completely on the glory to come. And he exhorts them to obedience in their heavenly father in verse 14. And then he encourages them to be holy as their heavenly father is holy in verse 15. And then he exhorts them to reverential fear, knowing that God is their father and their savior in verses 17 to 20. Then later on in the book, he encourages them in suffering, how they're supposed to respond, and when they're under other people in authority, how they should submit. These are all the things they should do in light of being saved, in light of being right with God. How are we supposed to live in this world as aliens? That's what he does. He kind of explains it. In our section, in verse 22, Peter starts to draw their attention to a very important feature and that is that they should fervently love one another. Like I said, the main command I thought was long for the pure milk of the word. And that is a very important part of it. But really the section starts with the foundational imperative in verse 22. Fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. So there's these two commands. Fervently love one another from the heart and... Long for the pure milk of the word. Sorry. I have no flicker. Long for the pure milk of the word. So how do these two tie together? How do these two concepts tie together? Fervently love one another from the heart and long for the pure milk of the word. Let's walk down through the passage and look. Okay? Look back first at verse 22. The main point of the passage is this. I would argue that the main proposition of the passage is this. Let us fervently love one another as we crave the word of God together. That's really the main point of the passage. Let us fervently love one another as we crave the word of God together. Look at verse 22. Okay, guys, if y'all are going to do that, you're going to need to go back. About three or four slides. We're in verse 22. Otherwise, everybody's going to be reading in a different spot. Since, look at verse 22. We'll do it without it. We can always do it without it if we need to, right? We, we will survive without PowerPoint. <laughs> verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. You see here, 
this idea of you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls? Well, that's just another way of describing salvation. You were delivered or saved by turning to Christ in faith to obey him. And when you did that, when you turned to him in faith, your souls were purified. This is just another way of describing the salvation that he's already described where? In verses 1 to 12, the whole great salvation that the angels marvel over. Since you in, have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Thank you, buddy. So what are we supposed to do? We're born again, we're forgiven, we're set apart, we're saved, we're delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. Yes, we're in these bodies of death, but we're now new and alive. We're born again, right? As he talks about in verse 3 and then repeats again in verse 23, our souls are alive, we're saved, we're delivered, we're no longer in bondage to sin. Since this ha has happened, what are we supposed to do? Well, notice the reason for the purification. The reason for the purification is given for a sincere or unhypocritical love of the brethren. What was the purpose that we were saved? What is the purpose that we were purified? What is the purpose that God has birthed us anew? For a sincere or an unhypocritical love of the brethren. God saved them and saved us to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. To have a fond affection for our fellow believers. So we are saved to love each other in the church. A love that's unhypocritical, without being counterfeit or fake. So Peter gives this imperative in light of our new position in Christ. Our new relationship in Christ. Our new identity in Christ. Fervently love one another from the heart. So the believer is saved to do what? To love one another. And so he gives that command to lay down our lives for one another, to put others above ourselves, to eagerly and continuously love one another. Interestingly, Peter doesn't explain what this love for one another looks like really until chapter 4. In chapter 4, he tells us what this love for one another looks like Maybe a brief description of it in verse 1 of chapter 2. We'll see it in a second. But it's really what not to do in order to be an unhypocritical lover of one another. Instead, Peter turns his audience's attention back to the role of the truth. The role of the word of God. The role of the gospel. It's crucial for us to love properly. So important that you get this. The Word of God plays an, a foundational and a crucial element, a part, in our love for one another. Everybody talks about how we should love more, right? We hear that all the time. But ultimately, it must be grounded in our Word, in the Word of God, in our understanding, our consumption of the Word of God. As we have the Word of God in us, and as we consume it, as we hunger and we crave for it and we get more and more of the word, we're then going to what? Love properly. We're going to love fervently. We're going to love biblically. Again, remember, Scripture makes it clear. Salvation has three parts to it. What are the three parts of our salvation? Well, we're saved and we are being saved 
and we are going to be saved. Right? It's, we've been justified. We're being sanctified, and we will be glorified. Yes, we are set apart positionally. Yes, we understand that. We are saved, and we are being saved, and we will be saved, glorified. We're declared right. These are the three parts of salvation. Peter, in this section, shows the integral part of the Word of God in all three sections, in all three aspects of it, of our salvation. Peter finishes this section off by showing the integral part of the Word of God and what it plays in the believer's salvation from beginning to end. And how that then produces what? Love. Love. I want you to look briefly, though, over at chapter 4. So you can, before we go on, this is what we're going to want to look like if the Word of God is impacting our hearts. Look over at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 8. It kind of gives us, okay, if we crave the Word of God and the Word of God has this impact on our hearts, this is what this fervent love for one another looks like. And he explains it later on in chapter 4, verse 8. Notice. In verse 8 he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Keep fervent, same root word there. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what are we saved for? What are we saved for? What has God birthed us anew for? Above all, to keep fervent in love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. As one commentator states, this means to seek to overlook sins against ourselves if possible. If somebody offends you or does something that you don't, we seek to let that go, to not hold on to that. Always ready to forgive. Let things go if somebody offends us. This is what unconditional, sacrificial love looks like from those who truly understand that they're loved by God. We're not like holding a record of wrongs. We're not keeping a list of everything that everybody did to us or didn't do to us. We're letting it go. Why hold something against someone if we've been forgiven by for so much? God forgave us for so much more. We shouldn't hold others to a standard we would be crushed by if God began to judge us for all those things. Instead, he crushed his own son, as we saw last time, right? That's what keep fervent in love is. If the word of God is impacting our lives, we're not holding things against people. We're letting love cover, and we're being hospitable to one another. That's what fervently loving one another is. Showing hospitality to one another without complaint. 
you know, it's this idea of letting others have what you have. Letting them use what you have without complaint. This isn't just our homes, beloved, by the way. It's our schedules, our time, our finances, our services, our possessions, all of our possessions. Beloved, it's so crucial when we understand what Christ has done for us and this great salvation that we have in Him. We know what we have is ultimately really not ours. And it doesn't matter anyway. Because my riches are in heaven. And what I have here is not really something that I need to hold on to. So to fervently love you is to say whatever is mine is yours. Mi casa su casa. Therefore... And literally in this case, right? Therefore, to use what we have to truly help others, believers, is what we should strive to do. If the Word of God has really transformed our life, this is what happens. We love. And lastly, fervently loving one another is using the gifts God has given us to speak and serve others. Speak to and serve others. With these gifts, whether in sharing or encouraging in the word or serving with various acts of service. I don't want to brag on this person, so I won't say their name, but man, we had just a little service yesterday and somebody just came and set everything up for this new little couple that came to our church about six weeks ago and it looked beautiful. The, the bride walks in and sees it and starts crying. Over the service that this person did without, with just one little word. Will you do this? Sure, I'd love to do it. And the day after New Year's, we were up, most of us, till one or two. And several of the people that were here till late were up cleaning the church here at 10, 11 and vacuuming everything. You understand how encouraging that is. That's the word of God impacting people's lives. Serving. I was like just blown away as I was still laying in my bed looking at the screen. I know, I watch you from that little, that little camera. <laughs> Cleaning. It's going off. Bzz, bzz. I got woke up, but it's okay. I got to see love and action. It was wonderful. These are great truths for us to apply this year, aren't they? We want to be people of the word, but we want to be people that what? Love one another. And, and, and folks, make note of this. Just make careful note of this. This is not a guilt trip. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just telling you that if we understand what we're reading, if we're applying what we're reading, it will change us. And it doesn't mean that we should all be looking out, who's going to fill my love tank? That's not what I'm saying. It's not what it's saying. It's calling all of us to do what? Love. So Peter introduces this imperative to love one another in verse 22 and then develops it in chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. Now let's go back to chapter 1. Look back there. And see what role the word of God plays in our loving one another. This is so important. Listen clearly, my friends. We should be a church of the word. But a church of the word should produce a church that loves one another. Genuinely. Otherwise, there's a disconnect. Right? 
When the word is transforming our lives, our lives become about dying for others. This is exactly where Peter goes as well. Look at verse 22. We learn that the word of God's impact on the followers of Christ is from start to finish. There's five points, and we're going to briefly go through these, that I want you to notice about the word's impact on our lives. First, there's our introduction to the word. And then there's our obstacles to the word. And then there's our desire for the word. And then there's the purpose in the word. And then our motivation in the word. Let's look first at our introduction to the word. Verse 23. Notice it starts with four. Four is there for a reason. Fervently love one another from the heart. Four. Because, because you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was gospel preached to you. In these verses, we see our salvation from start or introduction is tied to the imperishable saving instrument of God, his word. His word. Peter makes it clear that the new birth is tied to the word of God. It's through the word of God. It's through the imperishable word of God that we come alive. It's actually the means a person gets saved. It's why our hearts are changed. In fact, it is the only way a person is saved. They hear the saving word of God, the proclamation of the gospel. They hear about who Christ is and what's it do. It makes them come alive. God uses it to transform us. As we go through the gospel in Romans, there are going to be people that are hearing it and they're going to come alive because they understand that they're a sinner and that they need Jesus. And the the revelation of that's found in the word of God. So as we proclaim the word of God, that's how people come alive. So how do spiritually dead people come alive? Answer. They're preached the good news of Jesus Christ and their souls come alive. They're born again, and they're born again by an imperishable thing. It's the living and enduring Word of God. It's interesting here that the Word is imperishable, and he contrasts it with what? The perishable. The perishable is what? The grass? Well, he's not talking about this kind of grass. He's talking about the grass in the desert or in the areas there where that would grow up and have flowers, and it would look beautiful, and it was amazing that something... So barren would produce something so beautiful. But even in its greatest beauty, what happens? It dies and it's gone. And even like births with us. And it's very simple. He's, he's contrasting this and showing this very important thing. And I think he's carrying this metaphor to a degree all the way through it. He has this idea of birth. You know, we have, we have children. And, and, and living people have living children. Praise God, right? But what, do happen, what happens to parents? They die. And then what do children do? They die. They're like the grass of the field. We're like the grass of the field. What's physical cannot, what? Put on eternal. We can't produce that. We can't give life eternal. What gives life eternal? Answer? The imperishable word of God. The imperishable word of God is the only thing that gives life. 
So for us as a church, if we do anything other than proclaim the gospel and the word, we're really not doing anything of value long-term, eternally. We need to proclaim the word of God. And if we do, people will get saved. We were saved because of that, and we will what? Fervently will love one another from the heart. I love how history has shown this to be true. People have come and go. People have died. Thousands and thousands of years, people have been born, raised, and died. But the Word of God prevails. It endures forever. It keeps going. Do you understand? I'm not afraid of the modern age. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid. You know why? Because I know that the Word of God is going to endure forever. It has, and it will. No critic. All the critics come against the Bible, and none have stood, because they've all died. All the critics of the Bible have died, or will die. But the Word of the Lord endures forever, and it brings what? Life. So should we preach anything and teach anything other than the Word of God? No, I don't think so. I think that's the main point. Because it produces people that then what? Fervently love from their hearts. The way it is translated in verse 25 doesn't give it the full picture in the NASB. He kind of develops it. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which preach what's preached to you. Well, that word preached is actually where we get the idea of preach the gospel. So here we could translate it, and this is the word which was good news preached to you. Or, and this is the word which was the gospel preached to you. Or preached as the gospel. Here we see the life transforming message at the beginning of a relationship with God was the word of the Lord, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Then these saved people get what? They can, they're born again. They can do what now? They can love one another fervently from the heart. Can we do anything good from the heart? It's a trick question. Can we do anything good from the heart? Well, some of us are saying no, and some of us are saying yes, and well, this implies what? Yes. Yes, from the heart. It depends on whether we're talking about the heart that's what? Been born again. Born again hearts do what? They love fervently from the heart. That's a fact. The living word of God has made that possible. It converts us. By the way, to expect people that aren't believers to love us fervently, biblically, is like expecting a corpse to come up out of the grave and do something kind to you. It's not going to happen. All of their intentions and all of their motives are, are messed up with what? Sin. But the born-again person has come into a relationship with the living God through the living Word of God, and so therefore they are able to what? Fervently love one another from the heart. The good news of Jesus makes this possible. So as a church, we must preach 
this same message to others. Proclaim this same message to others. Make disciples by proclaiming this same message to others. And hopefully others will obey the truth and purify their souls for a love of the brethren. Next notice, the obstacles. The obstacles. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and and hypocrisies, plural, and envies, plural, and all slander. These are the obstacles. Notice the therefore is there for a reason. So the question is this. Is it saying, now in light of being made alive in the word of God, the gospel, let us put off these sins? Is it saying that? Or is it saying, therefore now in light of the great value of the word in saving us, let us put off these sins so that we will be able to long for the pure milk of the word? I think the answer is yes. I think it's both. God's word has transformed us, so let us put off these sins. Therefore, let's put them off. But these sins also need to be put off because what? There'll be obstacles or hindrances or appetite suppressants for the word of God. What's the very thing that keeps us from wanting more of the word? I'll give you a hint. It's that thing that we're talking about that we don't want to do, but we do. Sin. Sin. All kinds of sin, and ultimately... These kind of malice, notice, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envies, slander, is this fervently loving someone? No, it's not. It's actually hypocritical. Hypocrisies. It's interesting how those two things are in the same context. If we have malice towards one another, or we're deceitful towards others, or we're hypocritical, fake, untrue, towards others, or we envy, we look at other people and say, well, he's got this, I don't like that he gets it, and I don't get it, or an expectation that we should have the same amount as everybody else in the same place, that's envying, or slandering, talking bad about somebody when they're not around, running them down, to kind of elevate yourself. Well, is that loving one another? No, it isn't. But if we've been born again by the word of God, therefore, let us what? Put aside those things. Put them off. Why? Because we can, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ and the spirit of God that lives within us. Right? Does this make sense, beloved? What an amazing passage. No one who is filled with unforgiveness will find it easy to grab a hold of their Bible either. Right? Anybody that lacks love or is being selfish towards one another doesn't want to grab a hold of their Bible and, oh, let's, let's do my reading plan today. I want to spend a little bit of time in the Bible. I'm bitter at this person, but the best thing for me to do is read my Bible. No, that's not what happens. It suppresses our desire and our appetite for the Word. Sin is the ultimate appetite suppressant. We're not loving and we're not being kind towards one another and we're actually being evil towards one another. That's going to keep us from what? Wanting the word of God. So by God's grace, we must what? Put off and turn away from those sins and put on Christ and enjoy him and trust him and depend upon him. And remember what he did for us, that he fervently loved us even from the heart. 
even though we didn't deserve it, right? But he loved us. And then love like he loves us. See, the gospel and the word turns our eyes off ourselves and on to serving others. I cannot stress this enough. I mentioned it in the wedding yesterday. When you think of Ephesians 5, remember, when we read Ephesians 5, almost every spouse that I've ever done, any premarital, can tell me exactly what the responsibility of the spouse is in that passage, but can't tell me what their responsibility is. Often. Early in their relationships, they don't get this. They want to get married to what? The lady says, to be loved like Christ loves me. I just want to be loved. And the man? So I can be honored and respected and be submitted to like I should as a man. What's the problem with this? The point behind a passage like this, fervently love one another, is not to then imply, apply that to everybody else in the congregation except yourself. The point of a passage like that is to what? Cause us to say, because Christ loved me, let me fervently love others. And the moment that we stop doing that is the moment we what? Become envious, hypocritical, selfish, and bitter. Beloved, we got to look out. And the only way to look out is to look in the Word. Because the Word tells us to what? Look out and look up. Notice the command for the repentant believers, though. Those that put it off. Put off those sins. It goes to the third point, which is our desire for the Word. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. The context helps to interpret this passage. This literally translated as this. Like newborn babies long for the unadulterated spiritual milk. So what the word word is not actually in the passage, literally. It's long for the unadulterated or pure spiritual milk. What is the pure spiritual milk? Well, it's very easy to get it, isn't it? The reason why is because the context has been talking about what the whole time? The word, the word. So it's obviously pointing to the word. And like newborn babies, we are to long for, desire, greatly desire the word of God. Peter's just using this metaphor of a baby to illustrate this great desire. And everybody gets it, don't we? Everybody knows that if a baby right now is hungry... We can try to put that little binky or pacifier in their mouth, but eventually they're going to do what? Spit it out and cry. I need something real in my stomach, not a plastic thing. I need milk. We get this, don't we? Beloved, we should crave the word of God just like a baby craves its mother's milk. We should desire God's word. We should desire to know and understand the gospel more and more. This is what should be our greatest hunger. Give me more Bible. Give me more of the word. I just need more. And no, that doesn't mean that every pastor in here needs to preach for more sermons. 
It means you need to get into your Bibles more. Each and every one of you, pursue God, crave God, crave His Word, go to His Word. So the natural question is, how do I desire it when I don't desire it? Anybody have that question? Anybody? Let's be honest. Let's see how many of you are honest today, unhypocritical, truthful here. How many of you love to read your Bible every single time you pick it up? Okay, it's unanimous. <laughs> Not all of you. So there's actually moments when you don't desire the Word of God. Probably more moments than we want to admit, right? I kind of wish it was like milk and the baby, right? I couldn't live without it. Hint, you can't. You can't. Well, first off, notice Peter has given the primer for a desire in the previous words. It's living and enduring. And it's ultimately what saved you. And it was the message of the gospel. It was why you are alive today, beloved. <laughs> See, rehearsing why and what the, God, what the word has shown you does what? It calls you and reminds you of your appetite. Do you remember how good it tasted? Do you remember? Do you remember how it saved you? Do you remember how, who you were before Christ? Do you remember? Do you remember how he saved you? Do you remember it was because you heard it from where? The word. So why are you alive? It's because Christ and because of the word. It's because of the gospel that was preached to you. So is this a book that made you alive? Does that pique your appetite? Yes, it does. So long for it. If we've got hope and encouragement in the word from the source, then we must desire to return to that source. If I know that this is the way that I'm living and able to love one another, then I need to be there and I need to think on it and I need to meditate on it, not just for a sermon on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, but all the time. I need the word. I want us to be a church of the word because a church of the word will love. And the only way that happens is if we've tasted the goodness of God, as we'll see. Beloved, we are getting information everywhere. You are being attacked. I, I really, truly grieve for my children. I don't know about you. There are times where I'm just constantly pleading with God for my children. And, they, and they're like, Dad, why are you so depressed about my future? It has everything to do with the information that's coming at them in every different way. And the way that it comes at them is so pleasurable. They're being taught and informed and bombarded with information and it's given to them in nuggets, little short glimpses of truth or lies 
mostly lies, that are entertaining and it flips up for 16 seconds and all they have to do is think for about a minute and then it's on to the next thing. That's called TikTok. Information, information, funny, truth. Wow, cool, that was neat. Did you see that? On to the next one. You don't have to do anything. It just comes at you and it's entertaining all the time. All the time. You're always getting information and being entertained. It's just... <laughs> it is, isn't it? This is the great deception of the deceiver. Anything that takes a little bit of work, that takes too long. To read a chapter in the Bible and actually think on it would take... <gasps> Ten minutes. Oh, no. And again, it's not, I'm not trying to guilt. I'm trying to show you the scariness of this. This is how the enemy is. And no, we don't think we have it all right. We just know that there's one source that gives us hope, Right? And it actually takes a little bit of brain work. You can't just sit there and veg out. You have to know words and grammar. <gasps> Yuck, grammar. I actually have to know grammar? Forget that, I'm done. I got to actually think. Oh, beloved, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Long for the pure milk of the word because it is the word of God that will save your soul, that will be saving your soul, that will take you all the way to glory. Notice the purpose is given in verse 2. So that by it, by the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. We see clearly why we must long for the pure milk of the word. It's purpose right there. So that by the word you all, by the way, that's a y'all. Nobody's excluded. Y'all may grow in respect to salvation. Look, beloved, the purpose of being, for being in the word and seeking the, the desire is to save our souls. It's, I thought we were already saved. We're already saved, but yes, we are growing in respect to our salvation. We're growing. We're being who we are in Christ. We're becoming who we are in Christ. We look like who we are. We look like the children of God. How? Because the word of God helps us to do that. And just as infants grow up by taking their mother's milk and then moving on to solid food, we take the word of God and it does what? grows us. It grows us. And we know him more and therefore we respond to him more in obedience. Y'all all know this. This is what relationship is all about, right? Think about this. What's a good marriage? What's a good marriage? It's a good marriage. I, I, I'll never forget the guy on our honeymoon. The couple on our honeymoon, and some of you have heard this, but it's profound. They got married. They were both lawyers. One lived in New York and one lived in California. 
What? How are you going to do that? Where are you moving? We're staying in our houses. Really? Yeah. I'll fly over there on a weekend, every other weekend. She'll fly over here. How can you have a relationship? I didn't ask them that, but I was thinking that. How do you have a relationship like that? Again, not, I'm just blown away. I couldn't understand. I was a newlywed, and I was like having a hard time with the relationship, and I was going to be around her all the time. (laughs) Beloved, hear me, hear me. What makes our relationship with God grow? It's time with him. Time with him. In the very revelation of him to our hearts and our souls. The word. It's the word. The more I know him, the more I enjoy him, the more I'm satisfied with him, the more I obey him, the more I proclaim him. I want to be in a church that's growing in our understanding of God, our Savior. The purpose of the Word is to grow us. This happens by the Spirit applying the Word of God to our hearts. Put real simple, the more we know Him, the more we will look like Him. The way we know Him is the Word of God and the revelation of God in the Scriptures. So let's make 2022 the year of the Bible for Grace Bible Church. The year that we all get into the Word. I have a reading plan back there. You can get one on the way out. It's three pages. I'm going through Isaiah. I'm going through the prophets and the New Testament. So one chapter from the prophets and one chapter from the New Testament. Five days a week. You can catch up on the weekend. It's not hard. If you want to do the whole thing, you can do the other ones too. But it's two chapters a day. Five days a week. The idea is to meditate on the scriptures and understand God better because it's going to help us to grow in respect to our salvation. That's the purpose. Now, this can only happen if our motivation's right. What is the very motive for getting into the Word? What is the motive for our desire? He says it in verse 3 If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, Now, beloved, this is not a condition that is is suggesting most likely the readers hadn't tasted the kindness of the Lord. It's it's not suggesting that it's, it's, it's even really that possible that there's people in the congregation that hadn't tasted the kindness of the Lord. It's actually implied and could be translated, if since y'all have tasted the kindness of the Lord, since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord... Long for the word because you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. It's there that we find our kind and loving and gracious Heavenly Father. And it's there that we know it. We've already tasted it. We've enjoyed it. This probably comes from Psalm 34, verse 8. Peter probably has this idea in his mind, which would be what? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's kind. He's gracious. He's worthy of praise. How do we taste him? We taste him in the word. We taste him as we meditate on the scriptures and we think about the Bible. And as we do it, what? It transforms us. And we enjoy him. Since we've tasted the 
and feasted on the word of God that reveals the Lord God, we know we're blessed, aren't we? <laughs> we're blessed. He's better than any information that we can get from the world. <laughs> one of the things about that information and how it comes at you a million miles an hour, one note for you to take is, is that it's never satisfying. Have you noticed? It's kind of a trick. It's never satisfying. You, kids, I know I'm picking on you a little bit, and I'm not meaning it as a mean thing. I'm just trying to encourage you. You know, you win that video game, you, you hit the home run. Have you ever noticed that about five minutes later, you're like, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Maybe I'll get him next time. It never really satisfies the soul. There's just one place you can be satisfied. It's only one place that's the all-satisfying place for all believers. And that is where? The Word of God. It's in God. It's in knowing Him. Isn't He good, beloved? Isn't He good? Isn't He satisfying? Isn't He loving? Isn't He gracious? Isn't He the one that we want to pursue? Isn't He? You've tasted the kindness, haven't you? So let's long for him more. For as we long for him more and long for the word and we get more of the word, what will we do? We will respond by fervently loving one another. It's the word. It's the word. Which is the foundation for the beginning of our salvation to the end of our salvation. It causes us to love fervently. And biblically, and accurately, and unhypocritically in the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you will help us. Help us this year to read your word. To meditate on your word. To pursue your word. To learn from your word. To grow in grace and knowledge of you. Lord Jesus, we just want to know you more so that we will respond in the same love that you have towards us. Father, we have so many things that come at us. We can read a million Christian books and Christian blogs and watch movies even. But Lord, we want to crave your word. We want to let the word of God sink deeply within our souls and transform us into people that love fervently from the heart. Help us, God. Help us to crave your word even when we don't. Help us to value and be satisfied with you alone. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in his name and for his glory.